Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing out there? Woo! Awesome. We are blessed. I'm so happy to be in God's house today, spend some time with him and with uh, the people of the church and the assembly. And uh, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with everyone in the spirit of God. So if we could just go ahead and pray real quick. Lord Jesus, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Lord, to receive your words today. God, have iron sharpen its iron, Lord. Give us revelation, Lord, and direction in our life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Today, I just want to talk to you guys about authenticity. Authenticity. It is a word that has uh, been skewed quite a bit through the generations. Um, nowadays, in the postmodern movement, authenticity just means your experience. It means whatever you have experienced has become your truth. That's exactly what it means. If you feel like you are a girl and you are actually genetically a guy, that is your truth. That is your authentic truth, even though that we know that it is not a true because God made man and he made woman. If you, if you feel like that you have the sexual orientation of homosexuality, then that's okay. That is your truth. That is your authenticity. You're just being real with the world when in reality it is a lie. Even in, even in the uh, scholastic world of science, we know that it's a lie because they say that science actually says the same thing that the Bible has to say. You know, go be fruitful, repopulate the earth. Well, science actually says that as well. If, if you are unable to replicate or duplicate or to give birth to something, then you are actually inferior and deserve to be extinct. That's what science has to say. It's a whole lot more cruel than what the Bible has to say in reality. So, but the thing is, is that people are accepting this type of authenticity as a right, this type of explanation as um, okay. Like, yeah, that's cool. That's your truth. The problem is, is that there has already been a truth that has been set before the foundation of the world. There's already something that has been published, that has been written, that has, that existed even before its physical form that was truth, that is correct, that has always been and it will always be, and, it'll, and it is here to come. In uh, Matthew 13 and 24, in authenticity, something that we run into is something called a counterfeit. Does everybody here know what a counterfeit is? It's a copy of something that of the original that has no value. So in Matthew 13, 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the, the owner came unto him and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no. Least while you gather up the tares, you will also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them up in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. 
That's exactly how this, that's exactly how judgment is going to happen. We are all going to grow with one another, but the word of God says that many will confess my name. Many will claim to be Christian. Many will claim to be authentic. They'll claim to have truth. They'll claim these things, but in reality, they have no power. Jesus will say, turn from me, doer of iniquity. I did not know you. It's kind of a scary verse because really it, it represents every single person in this room. Am I a tear or am I a weed? It depends on how I live my life, right? It depends how I'm living for God. It depends on my relationship with God and then how I respond to my relationship with God. Because if I can have, I can have constant communication with God, but if I'm not responding to the relationship that I have with God, then I'm not fulfilling my obligations as a Christian. You see, for every good thing that God gives us, Satan attempts to create a counterfeit. See, evil men came and they planted the tares. God didn't plant the tares. Evil men came and did it. We see this every single day with every which way of doctrine that we see people believing. We see it through the, post, uh, the, post, the postmodern movement where people say, no, my truth is my truth because my experience. And we see a lie that is happening. We know the father of all lies, who is Satan, and he's trying to destroy the industry of the church. But he knows that the church is too powerful to actually destroy in the sense of a, an industry or, a, um, or of a group of people or a fellowship. So what does he go after first? He goes after the word. He says, no, 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 there are different doctrines. There are different ways of believing. There are, there are, I, if, if I can just uproot some of these core doctrinal beliefs from the beginning, then I can get people to actually believe in a lie. I can get people to actually believe in something that, that isn't true within the word of God, but they'll believe it as their truth. So we have to have a measuring device of what is true and, under, and have a good understanding of what is right within the word of God in order to compare it to something that I'm being given. When I was first introduced to the church and I heard about Jesus' name baptism and I heard about all these things I had to do um, in order to become a member uh, into the kingdom, I, uh, I questioned everything imaginable. I questioned oneness. What is oneness? I questioned what is, uh, you know, why do I have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus really the name of God? Um, I, I question all of these things. I question these all the way until now. I question every single one of these truths, these foundations. And the reason why I question is it's to reaffirm who I am and what I believe so that I'll never leave the truth. I question it so much that I went to a Trinitarian seminary school to understand exactly what they believed in order for me to understand what I believe. And that's something that that authentic, that's what kind of produces the authenticity in somebody is questioning what you believe, not just following it like sheep, not just trying to, not just saying, oh, well, that's good, that's great, because if we all had that mentality, then we could end up with something like believing in what Jehovah Witnesses believe in. Michael the archangel is Jesus. He came up off his throne, ceased to exist, and Jesus was not God manifested in flesh, because every person has the hope to believe in being saved. They just don't know what that method is. They don't know what the truth is. There's a void in everyone's life that, that everyone is trying to fulfill, and they'll follow anything blindly if they are in a place where they need to follow. If they're in that place in life where they're like, I need to believe in something, and it just matters who gets to them first. So uh, another thing is 
uh, or another religion that a lot of people fall into. And both of these Jehovah Witnesses, their organization is actually bigger than the United Pentecostal organization, even though they started about the same time. Mormons started uh, maybe about 30 years before, 20 years before, and they are about three times the size as the United Pentecostal organization. And they believe in a multiplicity of gods. They believe in many gods. They believe that if you live a good life, that you become a god. And guess what? They're using the same Bible that we use. We, they use the King James king james version bible i don't know how they come up with that i do know how they come up with that but i'm not going to go into it but um i but i just if when you read it i'm like where do you get this i'm trying to figure out where your story comes out of this but that's the problem that's the danger with not having a foundation of the old testament not not understanding where things not studying not showing yourself approved not not getting into the word because what makes me authentic is the word of God and my relationship with God and my actions when I have a relationship with God and that I compare and I contrast because Satan attempts to create a counterfeit. Satan attempts to destroy. God gave us music and Satan created an industry that totally destroys the blessing of music. God gave us the word and Satan tries to produce a counterfeit. I don't know if any of you have ever read um, one of the translations out there that are absolutely grotesque. It's, a, it's called the New World Translation. If you have that Bible, burn it. Just letting you know. Uh, it is a Jehovah Witness Bible, and it is ridiculous in what it says. Um, and some of the things that it says in order to change the Word of God so that it fits their belief system, which isn't entirely different of what a lot of other religions do. They're just not bold enough to actually change the Word of God. So, he come, so Satan comes in and he tries to produce a counterfeit. God gives us revelation and Satan uses false revelation. The angel Moroni, Mormons, false revelation. Galatian tells us that even if an angel comes to us with a different gospel, if he comes to us with, with any type of different revelation than we have taught and that we have been teaching since the orthodoxy of the church, that you need to ignore it, that you need to call him a heretic, that you need to actually cast him out, especially if he won't convert to what you believe. We see this also in, in, in Colossians where we see if an angel even comes with a different gospel, that he's trying to correct what is actual salvation because of the issue of circumcision. Because the Jews at the time, the Judaizers within that book, they said, they're like, you're not saved unless you're circumcised. And Paul had to come in there and said, no, that, we did away with that. Circumcision comes from the heart. You have to understand that, that it is now a spiritual circumcision. It is now a confession uh, to God and, and living for Christ. We don't go by your old laws. It is no longer salvation through the work of circumcision. It is a spiritual salvation. So even, even having to correct people, and I don't believe that everyone who is, you know, a part of these religions or a part of these different groups that they intend on living in a lie, because most of these people are great, right? Like, I, I've never met a mean Jehovah Witness, to be completely honest. I've never, I've never met certain people who are, you know, that they're me. They actually hold Christian attributes. They're actually extremely nice. They, 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 they represent godly people. They just don't have doctrinal truth. They have a counterfeit. They have something that doesn't hold any spiritual weight in the spiritual world. I don't usually carry cash, but on this day, I, I used a Chris $100 bill to pay for a new computer. It was a couple hundred dollar bills or several probably. Um, it's when I worked at Circuit City. 
as I, uh, as I handed the bills to the cashier, she grabbed the pen, and I was, uh, and I was somewhat intrigued that she ran the pen across the $100 bill. We've all seen that before, right? It's like, why are you marking my crisp $100 bill I just pulled out of the bank? You're ridiculous, you know? And then, um, and so I asked, you know, what, what is this? Because this is, you know, as you're getting older, you're starting to make money. I was still kind of young. I was like, what does that pen do? And she said, well, this pen is the standard procedure of $100 bills to make sure that they're not fake. Because if we accept a $100 bill that's fake, it goes against the store, meaning the bank just takes it, and that's it. They don't reimburse them for that $100. That's why counterfeits are, are um, highly <laughs> sought after, people, um, you know, by the legal system, because of the money that they, that they rip off. Um, it's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year of money that the banks have to eat, that the stores have to eat. So that's why they have to have these pins in order to identify what is a counterfeit and what is not. A cashier is concerned about this because counterfeit money has no value. It can pose as authentic for a period of time, but eventually someone is going to buy one of those markers and expose it for the lie that it is. And whether you intentionally use the counterfeit bill is irrelevant. Invest, you'll just lose $100. At worst, you'll lose one day of freedom. You'll actually go to prison for one day. See, during Jesus' ministry, he encountered all kinds of fakes. He encountered all kinds of people who were not authentic or genuine. We find out that uh, in Matthew 6 and 5, that when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Hmm. For they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There are, there, are authentic, there are authentic Christians or people who live for God, and then there are counterfeits who just care about what men think about them. There are people who just want to be seen in the spotlight. They have great talent. They have great, they have great ability to communicate to people. They're, they're very charismatic in the way that they are. And I'm not saying those people might not have a relationship or not. I'm not here to judge, but what I'm just telling you is what the Bible has to say, that that these people stand and they love to be seen, but their home life is completely different. Once they're out of the appearance of men, they, are, they live a carnal life. Moreover, when ye fast, ye are not to be as the, of the hypocrites, of a sad continence. For they disfigure their face, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. What is their reward? What men think of them. They'll get promoted because of what men think of them. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to travel around certain circles because of what men perceive them to be. But God knows their heart. He understands the authenticity with inside a person's heart. What is it to a man for him to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? They're trying to gain social credit. They're trying to be something that God has told them Hey, you don't need to be that. You need to have a relationship with me, and then I will open up doors. The way God opens up doors is when we start praying in our closets, when we start doing things behind the scenes, not for men to see, and then God will open up doors in front of everybody. He's the one who elevates. He's the one who opens up doors. He's the one that gives us, that gives us our blessings and our promises. You don't force the door open in a counterfeit way. During his ministry, he, he, he encountered fakes often. He flipped over tables. He, he called the 
the elite, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He called them scorpions and snakes. You have to understand, these were the elite. These were the people that everyone looked up to. And he said, no, you guys are scorpions. You guys are liars. You guys are counterfeits of what I was trying to create. You are, the, you are the religious group of your own religion. You are not part of me. You say you are. You say that, that you, you love Yahweh or Jehovah or, or Elohim or whatever you want to call me, but I am here standing in front of you now, and you don't even recognize me. You don't even know who I am. And so we start making things into a counterfeit. We start creating doctrine and, and warping it to our own benefit. We see it all the time in religion in the beginning of the Catholic Church. And I don't mean to call out a ton of different religions, but these are all pretty historically documented. So if you did research, you'd find it anyways. But in the, in the Catholic Church, everything started to become, when it started to become organized, not the beginning of the Catholic Church. Actually, if you read through church history, the beginning of the Catholic Church was absolutely fine. It's actually where we get most of our orthodox teachings. But once it started to come together as a huge conglomerate, we started to see the lies coming out. It all became money-based. There was a lot of money in church. It all started to, it all started to, to be about power. Different positions started to get created. Cardinals and, and, the, and the Pope and, and, all these, and all these things that had to do with control and power. When in reality, the only one who needed control and power was God in their life. He's the one who drives everything. He's the one who, who gives us revelation. He, he's the one who gives us our blessings. He's the one who gives us our promises. He's the one who gives us our direction. The spirit of God that is within us. But the church then started saying, no, we are the ones who give you. We, we are the ones. It, it's time for indulgences. It's time to, to start putting up false idols and putting images upon things that we have to kiss. It's time for you to say your seven Hail Marys and, and confess to a priest and to do all these things that are extra biblical when the veil was already ripped. Started creating a counterfeit to what Jesus actually wanted. And, and in the same way that the, the Pharisees began to create their own religion, Christianity began to create its own religion because of the falsehoods that we were teaching. For every good thing, Satan tries to destroy. So what are the qualities of a counterfeit Christian? This question is important. Much like fake money, fake Christians have no value in the kingdom. They flaunt self-righteous attitudes and selfless behavior. But if you expose their heart, you would find something completely different. Most importantly, Jesus says in Matthew 7, eventually counterfeit Christians will be exposed. God will expose you. The ability to fool men around you will, will be your only blessing, if you want to call it a blessing, or it will be a curse. God knows exactly who you are at any given time. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hearts. He knows your lies. He knows your deepest secrets. He knows your truth. He created you. He knows the number of hair that is on your head. He knows all things about you. And the only person that you ever need to impress, the only person that you ever need to be right with in this entire world is God. That's it. With Jesus Christ, am I right with you? 
Am I exonifying what the word of God has to say? Am I right with you? Because if I'm right with him and I am in love with him, then I am in love with my brother. I am in love with my sister. I am forgiving people. And I am exuding the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. I have joy. I have peace in my life. As long as my relationship is connected, I will produce an authenticity of the Christian world that the Bible describes. That's exactly what will happen. When we walk around and we see people who are angry all the time and they're, they're hard to talk to. They're not doing the work for God. They're gossipers. They're, they're people full of rage and wrath, but they claim to be Christians. How? How can you claim to be a Christian with all that rage with inside you? And I understand there's things that we have to work out in life that take time, but there's people who don't even try to work it out. They've been the same way for as long as I've known them. How can you not have the peace of God by now? You can gain it freely. The word of God says it, it says, you know, that the fruit of the spirit are, are love, peace, long suffering, temperance, you know, and, and to take as much as you want against there, there is no law. Take as much as you want. The issue is that we seek after things of this world. And when we start seeking after the things of this world and the emotions of this world, we'll always find ourselves in a battle that will make us angry because we are torn between two different worlds. And there's nothing worse in life than being confused and lost and not having any direction of where to go. When Jesus has always told us where to go from day one, he has always told us what to do from day one. Yes, yeah, sometimes we'll go through the wilderness, but the wilderness always allows us to, to point out our weaknesses. How many people here have ever been in the wilderness when it came to God? Where you had no idea where you were going or what you were doing. And all of a sudden, anger and frustration started to, to climb up out of you. And God was like, well, that's exactly what I want you to deal with. And all of a sudden, these new emotions started coming out. And he's like, I'm just purging you of, of this world. I'm trying to make you genuine. I'm just trying to make you authentic. You're going to be here for a little while, so you might want to deal with yourself. That's the whole purpose of the wilderness. You see, this world is tired of counterfeits my parents aren't in church one of the number one reasons why they're not in church is that they they just don't think that church is what it's supposed to be they, they think that it's it's a lie they, they not that what we teach is a lie but the people in there are are fake because of they've been burned before Matter of fact, they've, uh, they've heard people gossip, they've, they've heard terrible things being said about other people, and they're like, this is what Christian life is, and my parents are good people. Anyone here who knows them, they, they know that they're pretty good people. Um, and so the world, and the number one reason why people are leaving church in general is because of the lack of authenticity within the church. The, the saying that you're proclaiming that, oh, we love you, we, we, we adore, you know, we, we want you into our house, we, you know, welcome to church and this and that. And then you turn around and you say, do you see what he's wearing? This is ridiculous. That affects people. That's not authentic. Come as you are into this, into this house. Jesus doesn't care what they're wearing. Jesus doesn't care about that stuff. He cares about their heart. He cares about who they're going to be. 
He cares about the potential that's within them. He cares about the soul that, that just walked in here. You have to clean the inside out first before they could ever touch the outside. He has to clean the inside out first before you could ever touch their language or their, their habits. People are looking for authenticity. They're looking for something that is genuine to hold on to. They're looking for real love. They're looking for real compassion. They're looking for, for something that is genuine that can anchor them to something that they can fall in love to, that they can put their passions into. They're not just looking for another church. Most people have been there. They've done that, and they didn't find what they were looking for. We also have to be careful with people who work in the church as well. Believing that your church obligations are more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a big one for me. Because I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic and sometimes I forget to pray. And sometimes I forget to talk to the guy that I'm working for. And then God always puts me in check. People who saturate themselves with the work of the kingdom of God. And they don't make time to, to spend with the king. You're busy with school, you're busy with, with work, then the music, then the outreach, then the discipleship, and then men's and women's ministry and drama and Sunday school, and the list goes on and on. We give maximum efforts in work, and we give minimum efforts in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the same exact thing that he was talking about, about praying out in front of the synagogues, marking up your face, and, and doing all these things so that people can see you. People can see you working. People see you in the drama club. People see you up here singing. People see you doing all these things. So they think your relationship is absolutely fine. And in reality, you're falling apart. And it's not. People have a great way of covering up how they really are doing in life. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. But he that doth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will, say, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name? Many will say, have I not cast out devils? And in thy, may, in the, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. We really have to look at this because the thing that opens up my eyes is that have we not prophesied in thy name? That's a spiritual gift. Have we not cast out devils? That's a spiritual gift. Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? In other translations, it actually translates that into miracles. Have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not done many wonderful miracles? Have we not done many things in your name? Have we not done this in, in our works? These are spiritual gifts, and they did not matter when it came to knowing who Jesus Christ was. He said, no. Turn from me, doer of iniquity. You thought that you knew me. You thought you had power because you were only working for me. You were only doing the things of the kingdom. You were only doing that, but you did not know your boss. You did not know who you were working for. You did not have a relationship with me. Yeah, I gave you the blessings. Yeah, I gave you the, I gave you the opportunity to work in the kingdom of God. You ran with it, but you never talked to me again. People saw you casting out demons. People saw the accolades that you had, and people talked to you, and then, and you became popular amongst the, the, the group, and but you never knew me. 
Because the people who cast out demons, the people who prophesy, the people who do these things, they, uh, they were probably pretty popular at that time. There were probably people who were sought after. If you were healing people, you were probably sought after in that time, just like Jesus was. They brought thousands of people to Jesus. The word of God says that there was not enough time to write down all the miracles that were done, that only a portion of those were, were done. The, the, the book could not contain, no book can contain the miracles that God did in those days. And if you were somebody who was doing these miracles, look what Jesus has to say to you right now. If you don't have a relationship with him. It's all about the relationship. It's all about having faith in him and understanding how faith operates within our lives. Maximum effort in works, minimum effort in the relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been there. The counterfeit dollar can purchase real products if there is no pin there to expose it. It does this because the naked eye cannot tell the difference between a counterfeit and a real dollar. We cannot see with our own eyes that this dollar was never struck by a die-casted, minted U.S. plate. And without the proper tools, we could never detect the fraud. That fake has the ability to buy real things. It has the ability to go and do spiritual things. It has the ability to work for the kingdom of God until the truth is uncovered. So how do we know that we're right with God? What do I have to do in order to be right with God? That's the real question. Well, this question separates man-made religion from biblical Christianity. Religion focuses on what we need to do in order to be made right with God. Biblical Christian, uh, Christianity focuses on what Christ did for us that makes us right with God when we put our faith in him. There's a, there's a major difference. One says, I have to work in order to be right with God. I, I, have to, I have to do all these legalistic things, and I have to do these things that have no real power if I don't have a relationship with God. It's just the laws, basically what they were doing in the Old Testament. The other one says that I understand what Christ did for us to make me right. I know what God did for me. I understand the cross. I understand what sin means in my life. I understand that he was torn apart from my sins, that he, he had the most authentic power of love for mankind than anyone on this earth. I understand what he went through. I can read about it and I see it. That this love that was spread abroad to all nations, this love that was before the foundation of all the earth, this plan of salvation, I, I can see what it means to God and everything that he has done for me. And that when he found me, when I was broken and in my place and in, in my place of despair, that he showed me how to live life. He showed me how to love people. He showed me what I, what I needed to do because of his grace. Not because of anything I ever did. Not because of my righteousness. But because of his righteousness. He showed me how to live in this world. And it has nothing to do with laws. It has nothing to do with, with legalism it has to do with what God has shown me and that when I read his word and I start to understand his word and the spirit of God 
begins to move on me. I begin to understand the principles of the laws that I follow. I don't just follow them blindly. I understand them because from what I've noticed, when people come in and they just start following blindly, they'll lose it. But when they understand it and they have experience with it and they've struggled with it and they've come to the conclusion that this is right, that they'll never let it go. They'll hold on to it forever because they've put the effort in. This was a struggle for the Jews in the first century, the biblical Christianity, understanding that it's not about laws, that the laws don't justify you. Jesus Christ justifies you in order to be part of the law. That's what happens. And so the Jews could not understand this. This is why we keep finding in Galatians and we keep finding in Ephesians, we keep finding in place where Judaizers kept trying to bring back the old law in order to make a different doctrine. And Christ, or and Paul wouldn't have anything, or he would have a lot to say. He, he wouldn't have any of it. He would say, no, no. He would have to get into the pulpit. Because you have to remember, these are churches that were trying to be taken over by Judaizers. They were trying to be taken over by Gnostics. They were trying to be taken over by other people with great influence. And so Paul had to come in and correct them. Like, no, before you guys go away. Before you guys start following a different doctrine, before you guys start following some kind of lie, you have to listen to me. Has it been so long that I've been removed from you that you have forgotten what I have taught you? That only through Jesus Christ can you be saved. That circumcision does not matter anymore, which is what Galatians is all about. It's all about understanding what saves you and what doesn't save you. That our, that our salvation comes from Christ alone. So faith, putting in faith to Jesus Christ, understanding what faith is, because it's skewed. It has been, and, and I'm coming to a close. Understanding faith is just simply belief. I believe in something. Now, what makes up faith? What creates faith? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So my faith, my vehicle, it's, faith is basically a car. We'll, we'll, we'll just use that. Can only, and hope is the substance of faith. So this is like the gasoline to the car because I hope in something. What is hope? This is an expectation of some kind. My expectation is what? That Christ is coming back. That he saved my life. That he died on the cross. These are my hopes. These are my dreams. This, this is what I know that um, a strong expectation towards the Lord. And because I hope in this that I, put, that I put my faith in it because my hopes are the substance of my faith. But James comes in and wraps it all together. What does he say? He says that faith without works is dead. So if faith, if you say you have faith, you say you have hope, and your hope is creating your faith, then what? That this faith should drive us to work. That's why in a lot of religions, and I always try and battle it the best that I can and the nicest that I can, where they say, no, all you need is grace. You can live however you want, just have grace. You know, we have grace, that's faith. It's not by any, any works, by any man boasts, at least any man boasts. And you just, all you have to do is read the next 
the next verse, and it'll tell you that we were created as great workmen, that we were in the workmanship of the Lord, like, like we were created to work, and this is what completes faith. You can't just pull certain verses out and read it. Of course it's not going to sound right. Of course you can make whatever you want out of it. Of course you can begin to counterfeit something. Of course you can begin to create something that's not there. If you just don't read the whole thing or you don't have complete understanding of it, I can create whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. I can have a postmodern look at it. I can, I can say, hey, this is the new truth. A new truth. Thanks. And so how do I tell if something is counterfeit? Do you know how a, a bank tellers are now able to identify counterfeit money? They used to train them on how to find counterfeit, what the people were doing, what the crooks were, were doing for to, to create counterfeit money. But now they've had to do away with that because the, the crooks, the, the thieves, the people who are counterfeiting or the counterfeiters, they were, there were so many different ways that they were creating a counterfeit. So they told the bankers to, to come into this room and here are all the real dollar bills. Here are all the modern bills. Here are all the the older bills, here, here's all the dollar bills, and you're going to be here for a month just touching it and feeling it and getting to know it and putting it into the light, understanding everything there is to needs to know about a real dollar bill, an authentic dollar bill. And the only way to really truly know whether a person is authentic is by spending time with them. The only way to really know if someone is absolutely authentic is, is, by, is by spending time touching and feeling and understanding who the Spirit of God is. And, and just spending time and copious amounts of time and putting it up against the Word of God and understanding that there are boundaries that we can't cross when it comes to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because not all spirits are true. Just letting you know, not, not everything that says something to you is true. You have to line it up with something that is genuine, that is proven, that has been proven true through the generations. And the more time you spend with it, the more time the clerk spent with it, the more time that the, the cash register person spent with it, the moment that they are handed something that's fake, they could tell the difference right away. They knew to mark it with the pen right away, whether it was a $5 bill, a $10 bill, a $20 bill, a $50 bill. They knew it was fake the moment they touched it. And then they would, they would see that something was wrong with it. So they would look up at the security and they would look at all the indications that made sure that something was right. Or that made sure that it was either right or wrong. And that it was either real or a counterfeit. And it's the same thing that happens in our lives today. So authenticity is transparency and admission of failure. It is a rejection of the pretense of hypocrisy. It is truth-telling about all areas of life. Christians should be able to do authenticity best. We serve a God who is always truthful and never lies. He never deceives. In fact, he defeated the father of all lives. But I fear that without biblical thought that we may accept an inferior postmodern vision of tell-all, tolerate-all authenticity. If we could just stand up and pray.
mighty God, I want to be authentic. I want to be genuine. I want, when people see this church, they know that it's real. That the only thing in this place is acceptance. The only thing in this place is is love and compassion and gentleness. Lord, mighty God, that in myself, if I'm dealing with any of these areas in my life, anger and rage and carnality and moral and things that are causing me to, to sin, that, God, I, I'm looking to you. I can't do this on my own, Lord, but I want you to, to purify me, to purge me of the things that I've been struggling with in order to become authentic in your life. If I'm struggling with anything in my life, in any area in my life, Lord, I know that you've been there, that you'll be there, and that you'll always be there. You'll never leave me or forsake me, Lord, that you'll always be kind to me. You'll always be gentle to me, Lord, and that the only person that I need to, to, to impress or care about what their thoughts are about me, Lord, is you. Oh, Lord, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You guys are free to mingle and and fellowship.